You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. And we're back with an all-new episode of Keep It. I'm Ira Madison III. I'm Louis Fertel. My name is Aida Osman. And it's done. Quippy is over. <laughs> I want to say finally, <laughs> but everybody knows how I feel about that streaming service. <laughs> a funeral well, you know, service now. <laughs> it's a funeral service now. It has been on my mind, like, why it was such an obvious flop. I think something that goes underrated about Quibi is that it wanted to be everything for everyone in terms of content. It was sort of like if YouTube had one video in every genre, you know? <laughs> like if you if you love game shows, there was one of those. If you love whatever, Chrissy Teigen, there was one Chrissy Teigen video, basically. Mm-hmm. My biggest regret <laughs> is not getting a cut of the Quibi money, the Quibillion dollars they were giving out to comedians and writers. And, you know, that's their fault for not giving us more gay shows. They gave us a bunch of, like, Migos shopping for cars. Well, yes, Aida, while you were busy running your mouth, sweetie, I was running <laughs> to the bank, cashing a Quibi check. <laughs> <laughs> it's odd to me. Uh, I think that, like, a big flaw of it, too, was everybody thinks that we want to watch TV on our smartphones, and I'm, no, I'm not trying to look at that tiny little screen. I paid money for this flat screen. It's taking up all the space on my, my TV console. <laughs> no, I'm not trying to watch that. And I think also, <laughs> if you're talking about content that's on your phone, it should be able to link immediately to a screenshot you put on Twitter or a video you put on Twitter or Instagram, et cetera. And this was mm-hmm. the opposite of that. Basically, Quibi <laughs> decided it was going to be its own internet that we had to find separately <laughs> using a map. <laughs> <laughs> so that is part of the problem that I always had with Quibi, too, right? I mean, like, I was very happy to collect a check. Uh, I talked about this on Love It or Leave It last week. Uh, he did like game show, mm-hmm. Matt and Dave's show. And we just had Nicole Richie on to talk about Nikki Fresh. You know? But um, Quibi really seemed like it was its own internet. Uh, you, you couldn't stream it at first, right? You couldn't screenshot it. Uh, you couldn't share memes. And for a service that was trying to be relevant, yeah. especially now... The fact that people couldn't share the content from it easily was one of the main reasons it was going to be doomed to fail. Also, it wanted to be relevant immediately. Like, they really wanted everyone mm -hmm. to flock to a ton of content at once. So that Mm -hmm. really was an essential part of it. It wasn't like, oh, over five years, maybe eventually people will get around to, like, memeing this stuff. Yeah. And there should have been more things like game show, you know? Um, There should have been stuff, like you just said, Aida, from queer creators you know like more people of color you know it was basically here are a bunch of celebrities to try and lure you into this thing on your phone and then the content with the celebrities wasn't that great you know yeah and and like you abort- wasted a bunch of money throwing it at everyone it was i guess designed to be like while you were on the go uh and then the pandemic hit and so we were all just at home 
I do watch some things on my phone, but like to log into this and feel like so completely disconnected from anything else, it highlights my problem with a lot of streaming services right now and why I'm enjoying something like Amazon. They're getting their accolades, I guess, for, you know, like Marvel's vs. Baseball. Uh, and then they had had Mozart in the Jungle before when that got canceled. Um, but I think it won a Golden Globe, right? Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> again, that was the best newest series uh, win. Right. But yes. And <laughs> but we, did give Bernadette Pe- we did give Bernadette T- Peters something to do <laughs> randomly. So. <laughs> <laughs> but then The Boys, which I was just talking about recently, right? You know, it reminds me of the early creation of Netflix when it was... Orange is the New Black, when it yeah. was House of Cards, you know. Um, we were starting out small with shows that were interesting, and you're watching them, and you're talking about them, and then they can add in other things now. Currently, there's too much shit on Netflix mm-hmm. <laughs> for mm-hmm. me to really navigate, but for Quibi, too, it dropped with, like, too many things for me to care about. If there was, like, one really good show on it that we were all talking about, maybe that would have made a difference, but... They didn't do that, and they tried to launch and be too many things at once. It was never a good omen that Quibi just sounds like some rich guy's daughter. <laughs> His like fancy country club nickname for her. My, have you met my daughter, Quibi? She goes to Kenyon College. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> and also, I remember like it was right when I was moving to LA, where there had been a dragged out year long's worth of hype about Quibi. So everyone was kind of anticipating that it was going to be amazing. And you're right, Ira. Like without it having a flagship show, with them trying to have like appeal to a younger generation with all of these older celebrities that. I don't care what Reese Witherspoon is doing. I just, frankly, I don't. So I, I just don't think that uh, Jeffrey put a lot of thought into this as far as, you know, the younger You don't care about that white woman color coding her home? <laughs> <laughs> I love How that people neutrals? love Reese Witherspoon because I actually adore her as an actress. Uh, and she's very um, amicable as a celebrity. Uh, but I agree. I don't care about that aspect of Reese Witherspoon's life. <laughs> this this later stage mommy blogger um, mm-hmm. that she's become. I guess just to like wrap up the whole Quibi thing and start our show, <laughs> <laughs> talk about real things this week. They had an opportunity to give writers, um, producers a new place to create content, and. Um, I'm very sad for friends of ours, you know, whose shows were canceled now. Luckily, they will retain the rights to those things after a couple years uh, so they can do whatever they want with them. Throw up game show on Netflix. Throw it up on YouTube if you want. Uh, Stream it on Twitch. (laughs) I mean, that is an interesting proposition, though, that they regain ownership of this stuff after two years. Like, a lot of this stuff is built for that moment, too. Like, was that a raw deal? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Most likely, I'll probably end up watching some of the documentaries, which I was going to watch last week because I was at lunch with a friend who was telling me that some of the docs were actually pretty good, mm. um, like a LeBron one and a Donald Sterling one, and then literally it was canceled later that afternoon. <laughs> but um, the docs, when they're put together as one whole thing, that I would probably revisit on another platform. Mm-hmm. But it is what it is. All right, Well, bye. You'll be deeply mourned and quickly forgotten. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Pibby. (laughs) I'm sure I've made this joke before. It should be pronounced K-bye. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It worked. All right. Uh, We have a lot to get to in this episode. We are going to talk about Borat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about the 
Chris Pratt nonsense from last week mm. oh God, that happened truly after we finished recording. <laughs> oh, that's what, your, that's what your tweet was about. I was really racking my brain trying to figure out. You were yes, mad. <laughs> I was mad. Of course, we're going to be talking about Amy Coney Barrett. We're going to talk about Jared Kushner. Unfortunately, we, we are going to have to talk about Kanye West again. <laughs> and Adam Brody is joining us this week. And he is in a movie I fucking love. I thought it was so funny and such a good little Latter Days Encyclopedia Brown romp. So I'm excited to talk about that. He is in this new movie, The Kid Detective. So we will talk about that. And of course, you know I'm going to bring up the OC. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back. It's that time again for us to discuss the culture that we all consume this week, but I'm sure we all collectively consumed the new Borat film. On Friday, Amazon released Borat subsequent movie film delivery of prodigious bribe to American regime for make benefit once glorious nation of Kazakhstan, a sequel to the 2006 original Borat film. What a pity title. I love how it was not long. Oh. Very, uh, yeah, uh, Fiona Apple. Yeah. Shakespeare would hate the lack of brevity. Exactly. <laughs> well, Borat did have to fetch the bolt cutters for his daughter, so <laughs> things had to happen. <laughs> oh, my God. Last night, I, I grabbed dinner on the way home, and I overheard a conversation between two straight men. I w this is the way I want to be a journalist, just overhearing straight men and then telling the world what I heard. But somebody, somebody goes... Oh, the girl who plays his daughter is really good. And the other guy goes, cool, is she hot? I just thought that was so funny. Like, <laughs> even the vague idea of a woman in somewhere in the movie. <laughs> is she hot? No. <laughs> cool, is she hot? I'm just going to say that all the time. <laughs> uh, speaking of the daughter you just mentioned, the scene that's been getting the most buzz, of course, is where Borat's daughter, Tutar, is interviewing Rudy Giuliani in a hotel room. And then it takes an alarming turn. He is shown reclining on his bed and reaching his hand into his <laughs> pants. Allegedly to move a microphone. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that, is, that, is that what he's calling it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> is that what he calls his <laughs> tiny microphone? Now that we've seen it and we've heard everyone talking about it all week. What did that scene read to you as him doing that, or did it read to you as him adjusting his microphone? It's satire, so I knew what they were going for. You know, I knew what the imagery was supposed to encapsulate, but I also knew that he wasn't doing nothing dirty with that girl, even though I wouldn't put it past him. Is what I'm saying. Like, I mm -hmm. think that Borat is so ridiculous, and it it capitalizes on the absurd so much. It would be goofy for anyone to actually believe that what's happening in the scenes is actually happening. I also think, like, okay, he definitely. Rudy Giuliani touches her lower back. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. what occurs on screen is so quickly after an interview where he's surrounded by cameras and stuff, it just doesn't line up to me that he's trying to have sex with her. That said, he also is obliging to her in a condescending, gross way and a horrifying person. So I don't mean to say he's not, but weirdly, after you watch the movie, I don't think you're even really thinking of that scene. Not at all. No. No, I mean, I was thinking more of the Mike Pence scene. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, Jews will not replace us cake. <laughs> that woman just took out that cake decorator and said, can you say it again slower so I can write it perfectly? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was weird revisiting Borat 
in general, just because I obviously I remember when it came out in 2006, pre iPhone era, um, so long ago, and it truly became everywhere. It became ubiquitous with straight bros. Uh, as you mentioned, you know, like everyone was doing the Borat impersonation, which I will spare you all today. My Uh, wife. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It it, it went into the annals of like a anchorman, you know, or like a super bad, you know, like it was a film that everyone was fucking quoting all the time. And uh, it's so interesting revisiting that and trying to get back into the mindset of what this is, because Borat and Bruno were a long time ago, Mm -hmm. you know? And I've gotten more used to Sasha Baron Cohen being an actor. We just talked about him last week in the trial of Chicago 7, you know, mm-hmm. um, and Sweeney Todd. I just think of him now as this funny actor uh, who does tricks sometimes and is <laughs> with Isla Fisher. Yes. I, I used to think of him as a man who peaked in the music video for Music by Madonna as a... <laughs> Uh, oh LEG God! Yes, Lemo LEG. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes, LEG. Wow. Back, at, back was, in the uh, day when Madonna was obsessed with British comedians, which is kind of a motif. Like she was into Ricky Gervais for a while, and then she was on the Marriage Ref. Anyway, um, but that's how I discovered who Sasha Baron Cohen was. That's the best thing he's ever done, by the way. Right. The Madonna music. <laughs> yeah. Pure comedy. But, oh yeah. Fourteen years since that movie came out. I remember being a, like a kid, and that was you know the most quotable thing. And you, it's almost exhausting. It's I feel like what that's like a Tron legacy. That's a Dumb and Dumber. It's a long time between you know the original movie and the sequel. Sasha Baron Cohen is one of my favorite comedians in the way that he's mm-hmm. able to like infiltrate real life situations and be funny first and be totally self sacrificing in his comedy. Like it's like gives me Nathan Fielder, gives me Eric Andre. Like he doesn't break as a comedian. Mm-hmm. He doesn't break at all. I love that. My only my only problem with the movie was I haven't heard an innovative Trump joke since 2017. Totally. Early no. 2017. No. Like January. Like everything. Like when we were still in a collective shock about Trump, that's when it was funny. Now it, there's nothing funny or humorous about the situation, not even in a reflective way. So I I think premise-wise, I was just not on board with the movie. Total, also, I yeah. just want to say that like the jokes that were made about anybody in the Trump administration were super resistance mom-y. Like the amount of time, mm-hmm. like Mike Pence being called vice pussy grabber. I mean, have you seen Twitter in the past five years? It's just not um, <laughs> not, a, not a relevant joke. It, 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 it was so down the line in that way. I mean, I guess maybe, I think what disappoints me is obviously Borat is an interesting way into discovering the horrors of certain human psyches. And so you'd think even all of the dialogue would be similarly incisive, but it just wasn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I would definitely agree that I'm past the point of needing to hear like jokes about Trump um, or his family. I mean, they're horrific. <laughs> uh, we, you know, we've been enduring this for years, uh, and now we're truly less than a week away from Election Day, uh, and it feels mm-hmm. like we are in John Paul Sartre's No Exit. Like, we're all just in hell or purgatory <laughs> or whatever. Uh, hell is these people. And the jokes aren't that funny to mm-hmm. me. But he is hilarious. And he is one of my favorite um, comedians and writers and personalities. And there are so many hilarious jokes in the movie that 
have nothing to do with the Trump family uh, mm-hmm. and the administration that cracked me up. Like, there's a random cutaway where he's talking about how his daughter, how she could get married uh, and get her own, like, wife cage like this other uh, <laughs> woman in the village. It's just a quick cutaway to, like, her uh, flashing them the peace sign from her own cage. And, and that cracked me up yeah. maybe the most in the film. I get oh, yeah. so mad. I get so mad at things like this because I will spend hours trying to study jokes and write jokes. And then he says US and A, and I'm cackling. Like, I, <laughs> it's so disrespectful to my sense of humor. Oh, no. There's, there's a moment when I think his daughter emerges in the film. She comes into a room he's already in, and she goes, Daddy, why is the sky so low? And he goes, uh, This is a room. Like, she doesn't understand the concept of being in an enclosed space. (laughs) No, I mean, it's like, there are incredibly amusing moments in it. I also, by the way, rewatched Bruno recently. And you know what's Mm -hmm. weird? is like, I feel like that movie doesn't have too much of a legacy outside of maybe the Paula Abdul scene where she accidentally sits on somebody. But anyway, what I I had forgotten about that movie was the main thing about Borat is that he is confusing. Like when people are talking Mm -hmm. to him, like they can't believe that he's actually saying the offensive thing or he doesn't mean the offensive thing. And the problem with Bruno is it's too obviously perverted, I think. Like you can't go Mm -hmm. that far with it. Whereas Borat, when you're constantly bewildering people, even with your grasp of the English language, there's lots more demand mention and lots more ways to um, befuddle the person your mark Mm -hmm. uh well as you know it seemed like he had an itch to scratch with getting a new borat film out uh Mm -hmm. and it's out you know and aside from the trump jokes it annoyed trump uh i think maybe the funniest thing to come out of it was him saying years ago you know he tried to scam me that's a phony guy and i don't find him funny (laughs) sorry (laughs) but of course he's 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 so it's so interesting to me because i find trump very funny uh he's an asshole and he's garbage but like sometimes his jokes are fucking funny um even if they're cruel but it's so funny that someone like that doesn't get humor too mm-hmm. because maybe the funniest thing to me was last week during the debate when um biden refers to him as abraham lincoln because <laughs> trump keeps being like abraham lincoln you know the only president i could stack up to you know like when he's got the hat uh whatever i'm tired of <laughs> hearing about peak. fucking i'm tired of hearing about fucking abraham lincoln okay <laughs> uh if you want to be abraham lincoln go see some theater trump please uh, halloween's coming do up. that uh, but no, when biden calls him abraham lincoln he thinks that like biden is like see now he's like I'm, he's calling me abraham lincoln like i'm not abraham lincoln and it's like you spent years calling elizabeth warren pocahontas and <laughs> you don't get what biden was doing by calling you abraham lincoln he's a fucking idiot Anyway, uh, what else did we all watch besides Borat? Did we get into anything? Well, usually I don't pay attention to Twitter, like Netflix accounts or Hulu's Twitter or things like that. But I do follow Strong Black Lead in an attempt to, you know, try and find culture on that streaming site. (laughs) But um, Strong Black Lead gave us a thread of black creators and showrunners who got their start as writers on black TV shows. Um, Mm -hmm. And of course, these people that I had known already, but didn't actually go back into their catalog and try and figure out what was funny for black people in like the 1990s and the 1980s. I'm sorry for saying that like... Like it's the 1800s. Um, so I went back. <laughs> the 1980s. <laughs> you know. Uh, Lewis, you and I remember ago. that, right? <laughs> oh, yes, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Apples well, were uh, two cents a piece, yeah. <laughs> 
Um, I went back and watched Prentice Penny's Uncorked, who he directed that film, and it was really, really good. And my friend Gil mm. Ozeri is in it. He stars in it. He's a writer for Big Mouth as well. Very funny. You know, I haven't seen that, and it's a film about a black man who's very into wine, so I feel like it is my yeah. culture. You were the understudy, Ira. You didn't know. <laughs> like, you were supposed to play that role. But... But, um, yes, and, you know, he also wrote for the Girlfriends Writers Room, which, please, nobody kill me. I just started watching recently. Didn't even know how Tracy Ellis Ross had a career. I just thought she was Diana Ross's daughter. Still, please, nobody kill me. And just went back and really enjoyed her character and really enjoyed her acting. And I was like, okay, I get it. It's an iconic TV show. It's actually, Girlfriends, like, starts out the gate, like, so fucking funny. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, like, the last couple seasons are very hard to get through. Uh, and I don't know if I'll rewatch those when I get to the rewatch. But uh, Girlfriends is chef's kiss. Mm-hmm. We need more shows like that on TV. More like hangout shows for black women. Yeah, I think right now, and this is probably going to affect a lot of my writing, is I'm just interested in seeing vignettes of black people being black. Like, okay, I get it. Now we've, we've, we've spent so much time in Hollywood trying to show that black people are black, but can we just now show that black people are people? And they're yeah. just existing and hanging out and doing sometimes ridiculous and embarrassing things. So, Or their I, weave I, is trying to murder them. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what we need. Tracy Ellis Ross, I feel like, one is one of our best award show hosts because she is both up for anything and still kind of wholesome. It's like that exact cross-section of mm-hmm. everybody wants to watch, but like she will do something potentially embarrassing for our amusement. Mm-hmm. And then two, her 73 questions is also really good. I just think she's like uh, smart in an interesting way. She is. I'm constantly always amazed by her um, that um, she's managed to make herself a fun, interesting cultural icon in a way that is completely separate from being Diana's daughter. And by the way, she's always down to talk about Diana, though. She's like, all right, let's talk about mahogany for three hours. And by the way, I'm ready. (laughs) Let's get her on here to talk about mahogany. Tracy, please come on, keep it. (laughs) I have lots of questions about coding Tony Perkins as a gay supervillain, so get in here. I think that what's great about Tracy, too, is that she was primed to be a personality. Like, I mean, she does have that naturally, too, but I love a daughter of a celebrity. I love, give me a Zoe Kravitz, give me a Tracy Ellis Ross. Like, I love them so much. I love that they, this is all they know. (laughs) (laughs) Performance is all they know, so they're great at it. She does have that Rashida Jones sense of cool, if you Mm -hmm, will, yes. mm -hmm. I was in New York for a couple weeks, Uh, as you all know, and I made it over to the Whitney Museum of American Art. And first of all, the concept of being in a museum in the midst of all this now was very weird. Um, But, you know, I I was almost brought to tears being in it because every time I come to New York, you know, I I love seeing like theater or something like that. And um, with, with the absence of theater and live performances, walking around a museum like felt like such a spiritual experience to me (laughs) so uh they're also letting um very small groups in so it doesn't have that overpacked quality (laughs) that you usually get when you do go to a museum and you like want to look at a painting or you want to read a placard and um there's just six people standing in front of it speaking in french uh and you're like can you tourists go away please (laughs) Um, i'm sorry i'm laughing i'm laughing so much because your culture today is outside was briefly open for me. <laughs> I got to go to a museum. 
Uh, there are a lot of exhibits there that uh, I would recommend. You know, like there's the Agnes Pelton exhibit. Uh, you know, there is a Colleen Smith exhibit. There's um, around Days End, something that shows downtown New York from the 70s to the 80s. But the thing that really hit me the most, there's a Vita Americana uh, exhibit. And that is about Mexican art that underwent like a radical cultural transformation at the end of the, its revolution in 1920. Um, it's a lot of Mexican mural art. And Lewis, I think you recall the time that we went to the museum in Mexico City, and it was just like all those murals on the wall. Uh, and I've always been inspired by and loved looking at those. And the exhibit shows that a lot of artists, particularly black artists around the Harlem Renaissance were inspired by these murals because they were, you know, all about people fighting back against oppressive governments, you know, and the proletariat. And, you know, a lot of them were communists at the time. Uh, so there were people like Aaron Douglas, uh, whose art I got to see, Hale Woodruff, um, a lot of black muralists I had no idea were inspired by Mexican muralists um, and were sort of painting depictions of black people, post-slavery, um, reconstruction, from the essence of Mexican muralists. Uh, and that exhibits through January 31st. So if you have a chance to see it, go and see it. And I guess I'm also a communist now. I don't know. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Welcome. Proletariat save America. <laughs> uh, did you have one last thing to say, Louis, as we wrap up? Uh, I did watch Adele on SNL, which it didn't make me doubt her comedic ability, but they didn't give her much in the way of comic things to do. Uh, and I did not like her breaking during that one sketch. We're done with that now. It was not that, it, it did not make it funnier. The breaking? And I don't, yeah. <laughs> don't tell me it was funnier because she broke. She did that on purpose to fool you. <laughs> that was a whole thing in SNL, particularly like the Jimmy Fallon era. You know, like him and Justin Timberlake would break all the time. And it was funny in the beginning, but yeah, I think I'm also a person who, when, when someone breaks especially since we were just talking about how Borat is so funny because yeah. Sasha Baron Cohen never breaks. Right. Commit to the joke. No, right. Yeah. I do think there's something cyclical about it, though, that like they recognize it's endearing when they mess up. They really do. But right. then there was a, t a Tina Fey sketch where they are self-referential about breaking, where they were like, people love when we break. And then in that moment, the picture frame in the back kind of gets knocked off of a nail. And they set that up deliberately. And it's like, OK, at this point, too many people are in on the fucking joke. OK, just do the sketch. I was mad. I was mad. But, you know, it'll come in cycles. I'm from the school of Anna Gasteyer, Molly Shannon, and Sherry O'Terry. Like, you go for fucking broke with the joke. I want to see, like, the grit in your teeth, the anger in your eyes, yeah. as you are the most disgusting character on television at that moment. You know, you better pop a blood mm. vessel. <laughs> yeah. um, also, she looked fucking great. She looks beautiful. I mean, I've always thought Adele looked great, but, like, the styling was on point in this episode to the point where she wasn't looking like she... Um, it works in sales um, in Chicago. Yeah, at least she left her kente cloth at home. <laughs> that too. Oh yeah, she was she wasn't funkin' for Jamaica this time. That's right. <laughs> she she says Skepta who? Not a, not a glitter reference. <laughs> <laughs> All right, when we're back, Adam Brody. Keep It is brought to you by Hinge. Hinge is the dating app designed 
to be deleted. If you're really good at it, that is. I've actually met several really good friends through Hinge. I've used it, I can't believe this, over a decade now. Woof, what a life I've had. Well, you know what they've added within a decade of us being on Hinge is their new LGBTQIA plus prompts, which are designed to help queer daters better connect based on similarities, interests, and compatibility. Hinge prompts helps you show off your full personality and connect with someone who appreciates you. Plus, these prompts were created in collaboration with Glad, so they are by the people for the people. Some of the prompts are, the first time I knew I was gay was, mm, I was literally in the act of being gay, like hooking up with somebody when I admitted it. <laughs> Denial is strong and hard in the Catholic Midwest. Mine was Tom Cruise's Vanity Fair cover, the shirtless one. You just turned to an imaginary camera and said, I'm gay. Yeah. Or broke the fourth wall. <laughs> You're like Fleabag. Other prompts include, I feel proudest of who I am when. It feels affirming when others, blank. I connect to my community by, I wish I could tell the younger version of myself. I'm going to say whenever I watch that in a drag race semifinal, when they're like, if I could talk to my younger self, I would say, I would be like, girl, get tighter clothes. I mean, what's going on with what you're wearing? You look like you're in the X Games. Other prompts include, my chosen family is the best at, and gender euphoria looks like. Download Hinge and show off your full self using their LGBTQIA plus prompts today. Then find someone worth deleting the app for. You might know our guest today from, I don't know, old magazine covers taped to your childhood bedroom wall. <laughs> I'm mostly just talking about mine. Uh, uh, or you might know him from last year's Ready or Not or Shazam and this year's Miss America. But now you're in a new film, The Kid Detective, uh, and you're not only the star playing a washed up adult who was once <laughs> a kid detective, but you're also an executive producer of the film as well. Please welcome Adam Brody. Hi. Hello. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Adam, when I watched this movie, I had basically forgotten that you have a very specific deadpan humor that is constantly mm -hmm. funny on the movie. I, I really enjoyed this film. When you read the script initially, were you like, I'm perfect for this. I, 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 can, I, can, I can bring the deadpan to this that it needs. Yes, I actually did. And, and um, this was a really long process, actually. I First met the director, who's now a very good buddy of mine, Canadian kid by the name of Evan Morgan. Not a kid anymore, but he was when I met him seven years ago. <laughs> and he pitched me the idea, and then a year later showed me the first act. So he kind of wrote it for me, or uh, with me in mind, so it is sort of tailored mm. to me. But that would only work if I liked his voice as much as he liked mine, which I do very much. Um, I like his voice more than mine. <laughs> Completed the script like five years ago, and then it was just a long journey to get it made. But I love this script, and so I, I always kept the faith. And every time I would read it, um, you know, I wouldn't read it for like a year and a half at a time, and I'd go back to it. And I would like it more, which is rare, which is a first, actually. Normally you read something and... You like it and it's fresh and then maybe you get the job or maybe you go to, go to work on it and then all the surprises wear off and then you start noticing the holes and what you want to kind of fill it with. And with this, um, it was deceptively rich. Um, and, um, and it's a detective movie too, which by its nature is going to be a very like um, meticulous screenplay. You know, it's a very written genre. You can riff, but you know, the plot's got to be very sound. And, um, and also his language is so specific that I wouldn't dream of riffing in it because it's so thought out and such a, you know, he's got a unique voice all his own. It kind of reminded me of a little bit of Wes Anderson, a little bit of Whit Stillman, 
little bit of Coen Brothers almost. And uh, uh, I can't believe I'm here talking about it with you guys now just because it was such a long journey. Also, mm-hmm. I just want to say the way it ends is much closer to like Veronica Mars than a movie like A Simple Favor that basically is ends up being ridiculous on purpose. This like really <laughs> hues to a mystery and comes to a logical, interesting conclusion. So I also want to congratulate the movie for that. I, thank you. I appreciate my My friend Evan has such a dark sense of humor that I think I share that even in the most, this movie goes to a very dark place. And yet even so, it's still, it's not that it's ridiculous. It's taking everything seriously, but there's an awkwardness to all of it that is um, still kind of funny, <laughs> even as it's, hopefully devastating too. So yeah, he's got a sense of humor throughout, which I respond to. That's what I was actually going to ask you is because you, so in the movie, you play a character by the name of Abe who had a very, very, uh, strenuous and long career as a, as a kid detective. And now, I mean, he reminds us he's solved hundreds of cases, 200 cases. But um, I wanted to ask you, how are you balancing out when you're acting as this role now as the adult who is kind of looking back and mourning and trying to find his way in the world again? How are you balancing like being a deadpan, but dark, having this dark sense of humor while still keeping it fun? Because this movie is very, very funny while also handling a murder case. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. I mean, truthfully, me and me and Evan actually clashed a bit in a good way. I think we, we got to the best spot from it. But tonally, you know, it's not that I, I always was like, look, it's got to be funny. If it's not funny, the movie's dead. And then everything that happens will be gravy and icing <laughs> on the cake, whatever food analogy you want to go with. Um, <laughs> But it's got a, it lives or dies as a comedy. And he always had such a sense, not that I was hamming it up, I certainly wasn't. I mean, we're playing with like, you know, 10 different degrees, you know, degrees of 10 or 20, very small space, but still within that space, we're at two opposite ends. And he was always keenly aware of the end, the third act and where we needed to go. And so to make sure to set it up for that and make sure that we, um, that third act would work, that we didn't get too light or silly. So yeah, we kind of butted heads in a good way and would, you know, I'd start here, he'd bring me down to here. I know this is uh, just audio, so I'd start up, he'd bring me down, and then that last take we would finish in the middle and go, that's where it is. So yeah, just some healthy collaboration and conflict. Well, speaking of your comedic timing, you know, and going from light to dark, um, I feel like I've talked about this on the show many times, and I feel like you've probably experienced a lot of people who have rediscovered the OC on... Uh, HBO Max. Uh, I've been re-watching it with friends. Um, we like watch four episodes a week, and we're almost done now. Um, <laughs> and what's interesting to me is it starts out as like this satirical fun comedy, and then it gets soapier through seasons two and three, mm-hmm, and those mm-hmm, are a bit more mm-hmm. dark. And then season four swings back um, to just like it's mm-hmm. straight up comedy, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, did did you find working on that show a way to just sort of like explore how you're funny on TV? And like, do you have, I guess, fond memories of like finding out like, oh, you know, and this time like I'm hamming it up, you know. Other times, like I yeah. want to play uh, something a little more muted. Yeah. Well, it's been a long time since I've seen it in any real capacity. About a good six years ago, seven years ago is the last time I watched some of it. And I watched, was showing it to someone and we watched like the pilot or like Mm -hmm. half of the pilot and half of the last episode to just Mm -hmm. see. And different planets. I mean, different (laughs) planets. uh, uh, And in four and a half years. So that show had a wild 
uh, swing in such a quick time. It just went through so many variations. And uh, but then again, we did 30 episodes the first season. So I mean, in today's streaming world, that's like that show was on for 10 seasons or however you want to yeah. cut it up. And in the beginning. Uh, I would say that the pilot was pretty self-serious as I read it, you know, mm. pretty straight melodrama. There was humor in there, but it was like, you know, humor was way down the list of what it seemed like it was sort of trying to do. Consequently, it was very easy. And I, I think I got more credit than I deserve for being like a comedian on it or something when really I just got to walk into a melodramatic scene and just go like, you know, fart or whatever. <laughs> and, and it's, yeah, and it just like really plays anything, you know, and it airs that heavy, anything light will just um, mm-hmm. kind of catch. But instantly, Josh Schwartz, the creator, because he's very funny and he, mm-hmm. you know, connected with that and then all of a sudden gave him ideas and then all of a sudden he's writing a comedy. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, or if not a comedy, much, you know, instantly much more comedic and for me, but then everyone finding out how everyone's funny and it kind of influenced all of it. So that was just fun. And I think that first season, like we really connected voice, you know, our voices merged wonderfully and um, really hit a great stride. Um, ironically, I think that might have not doomed is too strong a word, but but maybe hurt it later on because I do think in hindsight what I remember is my stories. Not that I was itching to do more melodrama, I d- I'm not, and I never I never <laughs> am. But I think what I remember of it is my storyline started to feel too sitcom like where. Seth and Summer would get together and break up in the beginning of every episode and get back together almost mm-hmm. every episode like a sitcom. So there's no stakes where it's like, really, they should probably be apart for a whole season or two while you mm-hmm. want them to get back together. And it's these slow moving train wrecks and things like that. And instead, it was just like it was so light that I just don't think it could hold uh, an hour's of dram- dramatic tension like it needed to every week. I mean, you did get a very, very serious arc of being addicted to marijuana. <laughs> that was dark. That was dark. That was dark times. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't yeah, get more gruesome as you know. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of darkness, actually, when I think of your signature performances, I now always come back to Jennifer's Body, which is a movie that I feel mm-hmm. like builds in legacy every year. There are certain movies where like more people discover them, or they maybe like they thought it was one yeah. thing, and then they go and find finally see it and it turned out to be you know darker or funnier or weirder Mm -hmm. than they expected Mm -hmm. um uh, how how do you feel about your performance in that looking back because that has to be one of the grislier moments in your career character wise yeah not you know i mean maybe i don't know what this says about me but it wasn't hard to do or perform it was very you know like didn't didn't weigh heavily on me it was it was pretty comedic too is the other thing as as dark as it was you know it's also silly and so I wasn't like carrying that around or anything um but I'm real proud of that movie I loved it at the time I remember seeing it before it came out and thinking it was awesome and then um I remember to throw what the shortly lived and they were nice very nice people the shortly lived Fox Atomic is who put it out don't even know if anyone will remember that I do but yes, um that's right right okay yeah 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 <laughs> they couldn't have uh marketed it worse in my opinion uh, mm-hmm. uh as nice as they were um you know here we have a feminist movie from uh female screenwriter who newly minted just won the Oscar and they think and a female director and they think that that's and Jason Reitman produced it and they think that that's it's like Jason Reitman and hers follow up to Juno and they think that's a um, drawback and they bury all that none of that they think is relevant and the only thing relevant is Megan Fox and they market it exclusively to boys 
also poorly, in my opinion. I mean, that movie's full of great imagery. That's kind of the thing I, the first thing I loved about it when I watched it was the images and like how kind of iconic I thought they were. And they just didn't use any of them. And they just like sold a different movie to a different group. You know, if they marketed it in a cool way and embraced what it was and wanted to be in who made it, I don't know. And I don't, I can't say that still it would have done better or reviews would have been better. I'm not sure. I, I think it could have helped, but would that have totally changed the opinion? I don't know. But um, I'm happy now that it certainly has found its fans and, and in some ways it's even cooler, I guess, you know, to, to be a, a lost classic um, or newly discovered classic. So that's great. But um yeah, I don't know. It's a really good movie. I'm happy to be part of it. Also one that's I'm due for a rewatch. <laughs> mm. I'm always interested in how, especially someone like you, whose career we've been tracking since you were practically a fetus. Like, I feel like we've been watching you for a long time. I'm interested in how people like you transition from being and still being actors to having full daddy lives now. Like you are with Leighton Meester, who I'm a big fan of. And now you're a father. And most recently you welcomed your second child. So congratulations. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, but how does that affect the projects you take, the things that you want to get involved in now, especially with two kids? You know, there's a practical sense to it. It used to be fun to go travel and be gone for a bit. Wherever I was going, I was, I'm, I'm interested to check out Baton Rouge for a month. That's fine. <laughs> um, as well as the more glamorous places. But now... Um, it's much more of a consideration, travel, and, and uh, you got to take that into account. At the same time, there's something liberating about it too. Instead of being so precious, it's like I can look at it a little more practical. Like, well, got to make some money and it's got to be logistically feasible. So I don't have to be so overly concerned with the art, even though I am internally. It's like I, don't, I can kind of let some of that go because I have fun acting in most things I do, whether they're quality or not. <laughs> the, the other thing is, and I've always felt this way, but even more so now, it's like, what are you putting out into the world, you know? And, and um, Hollywood and, and stories, I mean, uh, they're just coded method, uh, messages and there are mythology and there are, you know, uh, uh, morality plays and our values and whether you mean to or not, you know, m most of the time when you don't mean to. I've always thought about that a lot and tried to exert my influence as much as I can. I mean, I only have so much control, but uh, I still think about that even more so now. And um, yeah, putting, putting uh, positive messages out there as much as I can. Mm -hmm. Aside from the OC, you were also a part of another big cultural phenomenon at that exact same time. I forgot until I rewatched it recently that you were in Mr. and Mrs. Smith. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> and, me, me too. We didn't forget. Honey. We did not forget. <laughs> um, do you remember just like being in that film and then after that, like how that became such a huge moment because of like the Angelina and Brad of it all? And do people bring up you being in that film as often as they'd bring up like anything else that you've been in because you're because it's so weird rewatching like you're playing you know like a really funny character um but you bring such like an interesting levity to the role that i feel like no one else has in the movie um so it's really fun watching it back and seeing you in it that was an outcropping of the oc actually doug lyman directed the pilot of the oc mm -hmm. and then he called me and asked if i they i just think they were like didn't know what they wanted to do and he had this idea to kind of cast against type the, the 
the character's name name was Tank, I believe. And um, <laughs> I don't know if they're... <laughs> and so, of course, I was thrilled. I loved the script. You know, my only regret is not being a little better in it. <laughs> like, I kind of hate my performance and I would do things differently. And there was room to, like write my own stuff a little. It was one of those, they're figuring out a lot of it on the fly and I just, I didn't come up with the goods in my opinion um, at the time and it's a shame because, I mean, I've done that, I've, I've, I've fallen short several times but this is like an American classic movie now. You know what I mean? It's just <laughs> like, it's always on TV at some, it's on, if you turn on TV right now, it's playing somewhere and, um, you know, it's just like, it's, a, it's cool. It's such an old... I really liked it. I also, again, haven't seen it in many, many years, but I really liked it, certainly at the time. And also, it's like, it's two movie stars being movie stars, and that actually doesn't happen as much anymore. You know, it's old-fashioned in that way. You know, it's it's got staying power, at least in, like, the consciousness. And, yeah, I wish I could be a little more... Pr I'm proud to be in it. I wish I could be a little more proud of my performance. Um, as for them two... Yeah, I mean, it's like endless. It's it's such a money generator for 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 tabloids that like any even little joke I've made about it over the years, like it's picked up just because you know they're just insatiable for anyone to say anything about about them. And uh, but I, I will say they're both very cool, very nice to me. Also, I just want to say how rare it is to hear an actor be like, you know what, I didn't like myself in that movie, and I want to thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you a list. I even, I even have, I like myself in Jennifer's body, but I have like, there's a couple things I cringe at. Well, also, what's interesting is I think people forget if you're not directing the movie or producing the movie, you don't have a say in what take they used, and maybe you were doing something, you were reacting to something that wasn't on the screen or wasn't even. Uh, put in the movie at the time or whatever. Yeah, so yeah. what you're doing doesn't match up with what you thought was actually occurring in the scene. Yeah, or it just doesn't read how you it read in your head. You know, it doesn't, it sounded away in your head and then you see it and that just didn't read at all. And yeah, I kind of, I liken it a lot to playing music. I, I read it and I think, okay, this is how I think it sounds. I want to hit that note. It might take me even three takes to just do what I wanted to do on the first one and have it sound right to my ear. But then if I watch playback, that's a whole different experience. And did it even sound like I thought it sounded like? There's that question, too. Mm -hmm. um, you were also a part of a very hilarious quarantine moment um, <laughs> for me. Because um, you don't have an Instagram. Uh, and you used your wife's Instagram um, to talk to, um, I believe, Kiko um, Agena, who you were on uh, yeah, yeah. Gilmore Girls with, to talk about voting. Uh, and... I saw all the like um, fans jumping on, being like, "Where's Leighton?" Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. Um, and I just had to bring that up because it was a very funny moment. I enjoy that. I enjoy. I enjoy. I mean, I enjoy using her Instagram, but I also enjoy like inundating the few Twitter followers I have and any of her Instagram followers with like political stuff because I think like. <laughs> Yeah, 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 Chuck and Blair forever, but also have you voted, and uh, I, <laughs> I like it. Uh, you were both on Josh Schwartz shows. Like, yeah. has he ever, like, tried to, like, be like, you know, maybe I should have you both in, like, a new show again? I don't know that we would, like, I was on her, she was on Single Parents for, mm -hmm. she did a show Single Parents, and I did a, a like, a season of that, which was great fun. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we've both had enough of the OC and Gossip Girl in our lives that I don't think we need to, um team up for some Avengers style with Schwartz uh, um, mega teen crossover then again maybe someday 
I just want to also shout out, by the way, the Leighton Meester one time years ago, and you cannot find this anywhere, covered Betty Davis eyes. And it was so good. And so like, oh, really? yes, an update of the I love Kim Karn song. song. Yeah. Yes. Uh, that song's rad. Yeah. No, uh, um, we don't have songs about like Spitfire Sirens of the 30s anymore. We need this. <laughs> this genre needs to be updated. Um, and I want to thank her for that, though we can't get that song anywhere. So I'm actually just angry. I'm sorry to have done this. Oh, yeah. I didn't even know that. That's really cool. She does a great <laughs> cover of uh, Love Fool. By um, cardigans, cardigans. Yes. Oh. and that's around. That's around, actually. Okay, thank. Um, I'm thankful did, for so. that. Thank you for uh, <laughs> quieting my spirit. Yes. <laughs> Before you go, too, you were in Ready or Not, which was one of mm-hmm. my favorite movies uh, cool. last <laughs> year, uh, and that was. It felt like a fun mix of almost the Jennifer's body quality. You know, like you were yeah. funny in that, but then you were also an asshole. But then you weren't one. Um, yeah. Did you have like a fun experience doing that and that in Jennifer's Such body? Like, do you like horror a lot? <laughs> um, first of all, I had a blast doing that. Matt, Tyler, Chad, the the directors and producer, just the whole cast. Like, we all we all just had a great time, and it was a relatively quick shoot. Just lovely time, and we were all excited by the script too. We just thought it was clever and a blast, and then seeing the shot, seeing the dailies, we got more excited going, oh, this looks good too. This is going to be, this could be special. You know, do I like horror? I do, but I like like Cronenberg kind of stuff. Mm. And um, um, I like all, I mean, I like all movies. I really like, um, you know, I really like Midsommar and, and uh, Hereditary. It was uh, mind blowing. And so I do like all of it. The, the thing I dislike the most and I'll do one someday and have done in the past, but like are just the straight, we're only here to scare you. There's not a lot of either intellect or humor. And so I think it's, you know, I definitely gravitate more towards the ready or not in Jennifer's body where there's some, there's some humor there too. Um, keeps me way more interested. So you will not be in Saw 17. I think those have an element of humor, (laughs) you know, like more so than like paranormal activity or any of that stuff. I mean, Mm -hmm. again, I'll do it, but like, or I guess they don't really have like, that's a little more found footage, but, um, I don't, I don't know the other, like the conjuring doesn't interest me in the least, Mm -hmm. even though. If you want to offer me the conjuring, I'll take it. <laughs> well, I think a lot of the scariest characters have like a sense of humor because, and, and that's what makes them scary. They have a sensibility about what they do. Like Hannibal Lecter is scary because he's thought about it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, it's certainly just more entertaining. I mean, Jack Nichols, Jack Torrance, Jack Nicholson, Shining, Hannibal Lecter, any of the Jokers. I mean, Freddy Krueger, terrifying, but yeah. kind of funny. I, I just, it's just infinitely more interesting <laughs> or at least fun to play, I think. Well, thank you so much for being here, Adam. Uh, Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, it's been very weird um, watching your face every week, and now you're here. (laughs) (laughs) You should revisit season four sometime. Really? Because it's really, it's it's truly amongst people who are fans of the show. um, We all agree that season one is fantastic, but season four is a lot of people's favorite season, and personally, my favorite. Yeah, it just it shifts straight into i think because of yeah how dark it got you know with um, yeah, yeah, yeah. marissa's death season four yeah. is just lighter and it feels like yeah. it mm. feels like an hour-long sitcom but all the jokes are so much funnier right i confession there's a scene where we got trapped in the mall in this middle of the second second season yeah and i felt or not a scene an episode and i kind of was like at the time like uh-oh 
I wonder if the magic is gone after that <laughs> episode. And before, I think it's like very magical. But um, I but was I don't shocked. Know. But season four, I you know, okay, if you yeah. say so. <laughs> no, truly, I think Autumn Reeser was a great sort of like breath of yeah. fresh air. Oh, very much. And by season four, you realize Ben McKenzie is actually hilarious too. Yes, yes, no question that like we had a parade of great guest stars that never stopped and and everyone got to be funnier and funnier as it went along i do i do agree with that i should i've never seen the second season like top to bottom so or the the fourth season i mean mm-hmm. so um okay um, and it's shorter yeah so. yeah yeah i know <laughs> <laughs> uh well thank you again for being here and the kid detective is a really fun movie and it's in select cool. theaters Thanks. now so people should go see it As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made in Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made in. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware. Last week, uh, I guess we can attribute this to TV writer Amy Berg, who did the meme that we always see on Twitter, you know, the one gotta go meme, where you list a picture of four things, Mm -hmm. and then you pick one thing that you think you would get rid of forever, you know, because you love the other three so much. And she did one with a photo of Chris Pine, Chris Emsworth, Chris Evans, and Chris Pratt, and... Wow, that was the absolute first time I've ever seen someone ask, <laughs> who is your favorite Chris? I mean, it's basically like, you know, when you go on Twitter and it says in the box, what are you doing? It may as well be, which Chris are you going to talk about right now? It's the same thing. <laughs> yeah. The reason I found the entire Chris Pratt situation um, that we're going to get into so insane was the fact that this happens on Twitter Every month. <laughs> so the, 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 this, this tweet is always being posted. It's always happening. There's always people saying they would get rid of Chris Pratt. And there's always someone who's like, um, Chris Pine's the best Chris. And then there's always someone who says, I thought that we replaced Chris Pratt with Chris Messina. Those <laughs> things always happen. <laughs> always. So it was so hilarious to me that when this one happened, it created World War Three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it created an Infinity War. Yeah, the Avengers, Avengers assembled. The, uh, <laughs> <laughs> what? And also, first of all, the answer is not even Chris Pratt. The worst Hollywood Chris is Chris D'Elia, and I thought we all accepted that. <laughs> oh, we're, we're throwing him in that league? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Also, before we get into this, can I just say, are people really this passionate about these four actors? I mean, this might be the shadiest thing I say all episode. They're the same distance away from an EGOT, all four of them, if you know what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) I understand they are in very popular movies. Great. 
I'm not sitting here like <laughs> vivisecting their gifts for me all day. I just don't think it goes that deep or is that important to rank these four people. And you know the Chris I prefer is Christine McVie from Fleetwood Mac. There, I've contributed to the meme in a gay way. I did it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel like the reason people always love Chris Pine is just because he cried once at that award show when black shit was going on and he always dresses well and his quarantine looks have been sort of on point and I miss running into him at Cafe Stella where he would sometimes come show up wearing overalls. I think he's also the most kind of mind his own business (laughs) of the the four too, which appeals to people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Love a white man who minds his own business. Chris Evans. Chris Evans was like, come on, Chris Pratt. If you wanted them to like you, you should have had a dick scandal, bro. Like that's what you should have did. That's how I did it. Scandal. You should have a gay brother. You should also be Captain America. A superhero that we actually care about. No one gives a fuck about Star Lord. It's the worst part of the Guardians movies. Yeah. Mm. And my favorite thing though was everyone's reactions. Like I don't know why every Avenger was acting like Chris Pratt was on the brink of death and like just depression right. and destruction. So I think it, the meme got reposted on like E News's Instagram or something, and then Catherine Schwarzenegger, <laughs> um, Chris Pratt's lover in Christ, <laughs> comments like, "This is bullying. I think that we should be above this, etc." And then I guess much like Ellen, Catherine must have sent out a fucking group text because then you had. Robert Downey Jr., you had Zoe Saldana, you had Mark Ruffalo, everyone defending Chris Pratt on the internet like we were nailing him to that 20-foot cross he has in his yard. (laughs) (laughs) I I want to hear the meanest possible thing said about Chris Pratt. I just don't think of it as like that mean an internet pushback compared to other internet pushbacks. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. Like Nobody's like assailing him for... Whatever, his looks or whatever. Is it all religion-based? Because All we said was one had to go. We didn't say where he had to go. We didn't right. say he had to go to hell or die. Like We just said you ain't got to go home, but you got to get the hell up out of here. That's it. Leave Hollywood. <laughs> like I just don't know what your purpose is anymore. <laughs> At this point, I have a hard time trusting devout Christians. Christians, I trust. Devout mm. ones, dedication. What are you, Meryl Streep in doubt? Relax yourself. <laughs> <laughs> And then, like, with Robert Downey Jr. being like, what a world, like, um, the, the single, the people are casting stones at my brother. The sinless are casting See, stones King, at my King brother. King. Sinless. sinless in quotes. Like, who among us? And, like, listen, Robert, I get it. King you, James, you, Timothy 1 you, and you, 2. Shut <laughs> up. <laughs> you have a very rough past, Robert Downey Jr. You know, I remember when you had to leave Ally McBeal. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was devastating for me because I really liked you on the show. But, you know, Bon Jovi and ended up being better. Yeah. Um, the Marvel but, Universe killed off Iron Man. They said you had to go. Like, that's sad. <laughs> that's yeah. sad. <laughs> but the thing about this is that it had a Streisand effect, almost. You know? Mm. We weren't really dragging Chris Pratt in the way that he got dragged when the celebrities started defending him. Uh, in the midst of a pandemic, uh, in the midst of people coming up in droves to early vote uh, and we're, we were like waiting for the Supreme Court to confirm Amy Coney Barrett so she could strip away all our fucking rights <laughs> they hopped on the internet to say stop being mean to Chris and then when they did that people were like well if you want to talk about being mean to Chris we can talk about the fact that his church 
It's because of in 2014, uh, he told Esquire like he didn't really identify with any religious denomination, right? And then 2019, he joined Zoe Church, which is first of all, what a name for a church, and then uh, <laughs> An I, adorable I name. He, <laughs> if Zoe, Zoe Saldana, Saldana started. Exactly. If she's not the priestess, I'm not going. Um, it's an evangelical church for the hot and cool in LA. Um, but it also is a church that doesn't like LGBTQ people, which Ellen Page has pointed out on Twitter before. You know, so part of the problem was we weren't really talking about him like that. And then mm -hmm. when people said that we were being too mean to him, it was like, okay, well, let's talk about the fact that your church um, fucking hates queer people. I mean, can we add to this with he also follows on Instagram people like Madison Cawthorn uh, and Ben right Shapiro. Wing, yeah, right wing meme factory Prager U. And so. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't want us to drag you? Like, the internet's right there. We can click two tabs in and see you're onto these fucking people. So it turns out we're not right. stupid. And we're onto your, like, weird <laughs> actual fixation on discriminatory people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, Mark Ruffalo tweeted that I know him personally. And instead of casting aspersions, look at how he lives his life. He is just not overtly political as a rule. I don't know how you get more overtly political than following Prager U and people from Turning Point USA, which are literal white nationalist organizations. Yeah. Like, the memes aren't that funny, where you're just like, oh, I didn't notice that they were talking about ethnic cleansing. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like, especially that, like, did Chris, like, go to the Avengers group chat and was like, can you guys please bail me out? Because Zoe Saldana had no he business had to. tweeting. It had, had to no be like when, tweeting. <laughs> it had to be like when people were defending Ellen. Yeah. <laughs> like, there was a group chat, and I noticed who also didn't jump in to defend him. I also noticed that these people had nothing to say when Brie Larson was getting a shit ton of misogynistic hate spewed at her on the internet from men just because she was Captain Marvel. Great point. Love that point. So, you know, you pick and choose. We're defending Chris Pratt today, I guess, because he's not rich enough, and he's not hot enough, and he's not I white know. enough. Um, <laughs> Chris Pratt, Pratt, Pratt. I miss when you were fat, fat, fat. <laughs> I really, really do. Also, I'll say it, Parks and Recreation, a little too chipper for me. Doesn't really run with my comedic stylings. You know, I mean, we just talked to Adam Brody, you know. Uh, yeah. He was on the OC uh, in season four. He's fucking hilarious. And he had great comic timing early in his career. That and with Parks and Rec, too. But because of shit like this, because of the church connection, because of the split from Anna Ferris. Sweet beloved house bunny. Yeah, that's what you um, fucked up, Chris. <laughs> you know, like now we're just sort of like, oh, maybe you're a little odious. Yeah. And maybe also you're too fucking rich and um, busy to be wondering about people making memes about you on the internet. Maybe mm -hmm. that's my biggest takeaway from this. How did you even find this girl, <laughs> Catherine? Shouldn't you have been like passing around the collection plate? Also, Catherine addressing the entire internet and calling out their tone makes me think she's a pretty passive participant in the internet period like maybe she isn't <laughs> aware of the more insidious horrible things happening on twitter at any given moment yeah if, if this is the worst thing that you're seeing happening on the internet if this is the bullying that you need to call out maybe you should join um melania's task force <laughs> <laughs> all right also you just brought up adam brody isn't Chris Pratt also for a split second in Jennifer's body? Wow, they have a history together. It sort of feels like he was edited out of Jennifer's body or something. I wonder what was up with that. <laughs> Thank you.
Uh, and we're back. And here's the moment you've all been waiting for, my voting plan. If you've been hinging on me and what I am doing to vote, I am so sorry for you. But it is an extremely dynamic experience, and I will share it with you. I had planned on going in person uh, because I have a disease where I like being at places like crowded airports or malls and just being around the noise and commotion of a given moment. But as you know, like Ira, I moved recently, and I was cleaning out my old mail, and I ran into my ballot. And as I discovered my ballot, Aquarius, Let the Sunshine In by Fifth Dimension started playing in my AirPods, and I, I'm not somebody who, uh, shall we say, believes in signs. <laughs> uh, but I seized that moment. I literally stopped moving stuff from my apartment and decided, I'm just going to go and submit this right now. So my recommendation is, let's not wait to do it in person. Look at that ballot. Realize it takes two seconds to fill out. I assume we all have our convictions at this point. Let us stay convicted to them and uh, drop it right off. Uh, I got some great content out of it, which you can use again on election day. So it's double content. I'm thinking ahead for you. Here are some things I was particularly excited to vote for, or one thing in particular, Prop 17, which is a cool one. Prop 17 allows people on parole in California to vote and parolees to run for office if they're registered to vote and haven't been convicted of perjury or bribery, which admittedly are my two favorite crimes. (laughs) Um, But... Uh, California now prohibits state prisoners and parolees from voting. People serving their sentences in county jails can vote unless they're transferring to a state or federal prison or they're serving time for a parole violation. 16 other states in the District of Columbia allow people to vote once they've finished their prison sentences. And Vermont and Maine let people vote while still in prison. So support for this has been led by Kamala Harris. Heard of her? Only 3% of the population say her first name correctly. So if you rank amongst them, congratulations. Uh, The ACLU also is an advocate for this League of Women Voters in California. It's extremely popular for progressives across the board. Uh, Right now, who I wish I could vote for, uh, Doug Jones. He's the current senator from Alabama running for his full term. He won the 2017 special election for Jeff Sessions' seat in Alabama. Think about Jeff Sessions for a couple seconds. Okay, there should be a rage running through your spine. Great. (laughs) Defeating one of the great villains of all time, Roy Moore, uh, alleged child molester. You remember that story, right? Uh, He worked at a steel mill like his grandfather before law school. Suddenly we're in a Loretta Lynn song. As a U.S. attorney, he prosecuted members of the KKK who bombed a black church in Birmingham and a bomber who attacked an abortion clinic. Uh, His opponent, Tommy Tuberville, was a former Auburn football coach and essentially a mini Trump. The large Trump, as you know, is enough. Uh, He supports protections for transgender students and transgender troops, which is something apparently that still needs to be said out loud. Uh, He's pushing to close the homework gap by ensuring that every Alabama household has access to high-speed internet. The homework gap, cute term. Um, And he introduced two bills to address the disproportionate maternal and infant mortality rates among black women and their babies, the Mom Act and Care Act. Uh, He's endorsed by Kamala Harris, Amy Klobuchar, Stacey Abrams. That's three people with the smartest lapels. So go to DougJones.com to contribute. And we know that a lot of you have already voted, which is amazing, but your job ain't over yet. Now we have to make sure that everyone else votes. And how do we do that? It's very easy. Just take a few minutes out of your day, minutes that we'd otherwise be spending anxious about polls or scrolling through Twitter aimlessly or whatever. Uh, Let's get out the vote. Go to votesaveamerica.com slash volunteer to find all your options to get involved between now and Election Day. And now it's time for Keep It. 
And we're back for our favorite segment of the episode. It is Keep It. Once again, fuck everybody. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> and like, it's not even something as dumb as fucking Tiffany Trump this week. Like, mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of people should just like go directly to hell and not collect two hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah. I, I'll start um, by saying, I hate when Mike Keep It's are political only because. Other people are, shall we say, more eloquent about this. You need me to talk about whatever, the 1979 Oscars. That's what we should be restoring (laughs) our own sanity by uh, getting into our niche obsessions again and again. But unfortunately, the other day, I was acquainted with Amy Coney Barrett's resume. And (laughs) I'm aware she was underqualified anyway. I know they've rushed her through. I know Mitch McConnell, who at the moment looks like a Grape gangrene Kool-Aid man um, (laughs) is like gutting to throw her through the system, whatever. Bitch. (laughs) (laughs) MSNBC put up her experience and I'm simply blown away. Here we go. Two years in private practice, never tried a case, never argued an appeal, never argued before the Supreme Court. Most private work involves civil cases and criminal cases. 15 years teaching experience. Never served as a judge until 2017. 70 (laughs) words per minute, PowerPoint, Excel, and Word. Like, what? (laughs) The objective lack of experience, the objective shittiness of this is just unfathomable. And I don't know what to say other than it is excruciating what happened this week that she is on the Supreme Court. What else is there to be said about it? I, I, I feel horrible. Can we just get into our feelings? I feel like shit. That's it. <laughs> I, I compared her to old girl Abigail Fisher, who was suing for racial discrimination. Uh, she hated affirmative action so she can get into college. Remember that girl? Yeah. Oh, right, uh, right, right. This is, like, this is like her all grown up. It is honestly embarrassing to me. The concept of accepting a job, accepting this nomination, getting on the fucking Supreme Court in the midst of a pandemic when like 225,000 people and counting are dead, when um, we're in the middle of an election and, and like over 60 million people have voted already and... You are so underqualified, and it's being called the darkest day in history, you getting on the Supreme Court, and people keep talking about how, like, underhanded the Republicans had to be to get you on the court, too. Like, Mm -hmm. I would be fucking embarrassed. And the fact that she isn't makes her even more despicable. Like, standing there, like, you know, whimsical. And, like, I remember during her hearing, uh, I forget which, like, fucking old white man senator asked her, who does the the laundry at your house? (laughs) Like, shut the fuck up. I hate that the thought goes into my mind to... Wonder if they have shame at all, just because it's not a productive thought, whatever. They have shame, they don't have shame, they're not going to show it. And I don't know why it would be satisfying to me one way or the other if they did. But it is just preoccupying how unbelievably bad this is, and what a joke she is, and what a troll selection she is. So, mm-hmm. um, sorry about that. It's fall. I would normally do my little fall sucks or hocus pocus sucks thing right now, but you know what sucks? Most other things at the moment. So I'll get back to that soon, but uh, sorry, guys. (laughs) You know, the only good thing about this is that the voices we really need on the left right now, like AOC, you know, and like Ed Markey, uh, like Brian Schatz, like the people who actually got up there 
um, and were like, fuck this. This is illegitimate. Ed Markey was like, uh, I fell out what he said to Amy um, Barrett, who is an originalist, quote unquote, originalist. These people who interpret the Constitution uh, as it was originally conceived, you know, when niggas were slaves, <laughs> uh, when um, women didn't have rights, uh, couldn't even vote um, is bullshit. And he was like to her. LGBT stands for let's go back in time. I was like, I was like, Marky got bars. <laughs> and AOC is like, expand the court. I'm like, yes, bitch, let's mm-hmm. expand the court. New Supreme Court, who dis? We're expanded. I'm yeah. like, I don't even want any of this um, hemming and hawing bullshit anymore from people who are like, Oh, you know, like we, we, we really shouldn't play the games that they play. Like Mitch McConnell is on the Senate floor talking about how the Democrats are mad because they didn't win an election. Like they weren't successful and now we get to do whatever we want to do. First of all, you bitches don't even win elections. You stole the 2000 election. You stole Trump winning too. You've been packing courts all over the fucking United States during Trump's presidency. Like you're grifters. And you're trash. And I can't wait till we vote every single fucking one of them out because they're all evil. Yeah. Evil. The, the hypocrisy from the GOP is like they're guaranteed that they're not going to have a Supreme Court justice come in a week before the fucking election when Obama was trying to get Merrick Garland in. R.I.P. Merrick Garland. He's not dead, but we're all about to be without him. So, like, oh, you know, I hate to be dismal, but... I'm going to have to just put out an open casting call for anyone who wants to be my wife right now because you, we can elope, baby girl, like while we still have a chance <laughs> before before Amy Cucamonga like stops us. So I'm just saying, like, hit me up. Anyone DMs in Amsterdam who wants yes. to get married to me, I would love to move yeah. there. My I'm- DMs are open on Instagram. <laughs> Instagram, not Twitter. Got to see what you look yes. like. Um, but I won't be that discerning, okay? Yeah. Also, Aida just said Cucamonga, which reminds me of the movie Camp Cucamonga, which has a theme song that once you hear it is in your head for the rest of your life. And now I can't stop thinking about it. So you've cursed me again, just like Amy Coney Barrett. Have a good day. (laughs) I know that we've made many of the Coney Island jokes, but when I think of Coney Island, I think of the sequel to Phantom of the Opera, Love Never Dies, um, which is a horrible musical. Uh, and um, Amy Coney Barrett is the love never dies of human beings. <laughs> uh, speaking of things never dying, um, Kanye West. So <laughs> my keep it this week. Lewis had to take off after that. So yeah. it's you want to have a job. You, I- <laughs> you want to you, you want to make money and shit. Get out of here. It's just me and you, Aida. So okay. let's talk about this nigga that I know. But <laughs> you you <laughs> gonna bring up? <laughs> the last the, the last few minutes of this show are gonna be some black people shit. So go Yo, ahead. Even before the pandemic, Kanye was a house nigga. Let me just say. <laughs> and I I shouldn't say that because it's gonna be on the route like. Aida Osman called Kanye West a house nigga. Like, I should watch myself, but whatever. Actually, Aida, if you Google Ira Ben Carson, I fully got written up in some, like, right-wing newspaper Ira. once. When, when, when Ben was talking about how he was thinking that he was going to have a role in the Trump administration after oh, that Trump won, I tweeted, how's her feel? wow and then they still gave him urban development so like wait that's what he does right what does that nigga do anyway you know how disrespectful it is they put the black man in the only urban department anywho they put him in hud they said okay so kanye west showed up 
on Joe Rogan Ooh. to do what he calls an interview. Um, the mental fucking gymnastics I had to do to understand what this man calls quote unquote English. Like after watching that, I'm sponsored by Excedrin. My liver does not thank me. Like I'm <laughs> in so much fucking pain. There goes Kanye, you know, in his little oversized sweatshirt, which is just a muumu, nigga. Call it a muumu. You in an earth tone sleep shirt is what you're wearing, and you in a dusty Yeezy muumus, Yeezy muumus. Yes, <laughs> trying to have opinions. And don't get me wrong, like Kanye really entertains me. I always be on here harping about how much he irritates me, but he's. I appreciate his musings in the way that, like, I like to watch my drunk uncle talk, like, wax poetic after, like, a week of night school. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. Like, like, yeah, you're right, Unc. You are a genius with that Psych 101 information. Read me. Psychoanalyze me. That's, like, exactly the type of energy that Kanye has. And I'm so tired of Kanye thinking that he's a revolutionary. Like, nigga, you make foam shoes. You make Crocs for robots, bro. I do not <laughs> he has all of these things to say about how black people shouldn't be happy about Black History Month. Like, okay, 2004, as read about the world. Like, we get it. It's the shortest month of the year. It's in the dead of winter. It's the month where people celebrate love. Like, yuck. Like, we are given crumbs, and we know that. You're not being transformative by telling us that, by telling us there's fluoride in the toothpaste. Okay, it's just so frustrating. And Kanye, like recently in that in that interview, he reveals that the only reason he registered so late for his presidential bid was because he had COVID. Mm. Nigga, did you have COVID for eight months? <laughs> like a year and a half? What was going on? You were patient zero. <laughs> and a lot of this anger is really spilling over because I'm super mad about what he said about abortion. And like, as we recall, when Kanye was on his presidential campaign and he came out to talk about how he almost killed his daughter and he started crying because he probably tried to encourage Kim to get an abortion. And then he goes on to talk about how the uh, abortion opinion is in the hands of 31 to 37 year old men who don't want to live a lifestyle because America has coaxed them into believing that they need to be capitalists and all of that. And they encourage their partners to get abortions. And now he's super Christian again and he's pro-life. I mean, he's always been Christian, but now he's openly pro-life and by virtue of that anti-abortion. And it's like, you don't get to talk about abortion without talking about women's bodies. And in this two and a half hour interview, Kanye West says a million words and Joe Rogan says like six of them because Kanye does that thing where he just thinks he's talking in colors and saying all of these beautiful lyrical things. And it's like, nigga, what you're doing is you're not making sense. Like you're not making any sense. So frustrating. And Kanye, he does say some interesting things. Like he's working on a sustainable monastery. He's working on sustainable food. He had a few good talking points. But overall, it's like, bro, what is happening? What is happening? You know, I was up in New York minding my business. And then I saw just I kept seeing news reports of Kanye, Joe Rogan experience. And I was like, I, I, that's what I'm not going to do. <laughs> <laughs> I have I never to have listened to the, the Joe Rogan experience anyway. I certainly wasn't going to start with this episode. And I just do not get this legitimization of Joe Rogan. Yeah. I don't I get it. The only appreciation I have about Joe Rogan is his ability to, uh, you know, be interested in what everyone's saying. He's a good interviewer. And that is the extent of what I like about Joe Rogan. And, you know, he got me, like, caring about kettlebells and shit. So it's, like, a very interesting... It's an in he's, he's fun to listen to. But... And also just for talking points of like pop in pop culture, what's happening is usually some Joe Rogan interview with, you know, Elon Musk smoking weed, some random shit like that. So that's the only reason I think I keep him in the repertoire of things that I am entertained by. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, I don't need to hear that man talk. 
<laughs> we certainly do not. Okay, Ira, <laughs> Ira, Ira. What is your keep it? My keep it is to this meerkat looking bitch, <laughs> Jared Kushner, who had the nerve to go on Fox this week and talk about, you know, like how much his father-in-law cares about black people, right? You know, they're always like, Trump loves y'all. He loves the blacks. This time, however, Jared Kushner said he can't want more for black people than black people want for themselves. So basically he was like, niggas is lazy. You got to get like me, bitch, i.e. <laughs> and Jared Kushner, a rich kid whose parents donated money to like Cornell and Princeton and also Harvard to get him up in there. You know, Jared Kushner, slumlord Jared Kushner, Jared Kushner, who has no fucking business being at doing anything in the White House. And it's only there because he's booed up with Ivanka. Like you have the nerve to tell black people that they are lazy. What the fuck do you do? What does he do? I do not know what this man does besides evict people from his dilapidated houses. <laughs> and comb those three hairs down. Like, remember when we didn't used to hear him speak and now we hear him speak? And I'm like, the, the voice, the voice, the voice, the voice would make my ears bleed. I'm like, where are Mulder and Scully to find out what's going on with that voice? <laughs> I don't have much more to say about this dumb bitch but just like fuck you and your lack of qualifications coming out you're trying to tell black people that we're lazy it's such a like superficial view of black people to not understand the depth of the you know subjugation and marginalization that we've experienced and also yeah like you're saying your his mom is a free and not caught felicity huffman pretty much in the way that you know you had all <laughs> these things set up for you and you get to just look like that and you know critique free and you know uh, objectivity free his dad went to prison for 18 counts of tax evasion, illegal campaign contributions, and witness tampering. And also, he hired a prostitute um, to sleep with his sister's husband and videotaped the encounter and then sent it to her. He is vile. This family is vile. And you, you think of, like, any black person trying to make it ahead if their father went to jail the way his did. Like, they still have their money. They still have their stature uh, in New York City. You know, you're not operating on the same level the black people are operating on. And, and one, every time we try to build some shit, like, black, black people just need to, like, pull themselves up by the bootstraps. You know, like, make some money. Like, do some hard work. I'm sorry. Every time we built shit, y'all burnt it down. <laughs> Okay, Black Wall Street, you know, like, look it up. Mm -hmm. You know, every time black people try to do anything, any success in any town, post-slavery, post-reconstruction, white people come in, they would burn it down, they would lynch black people, they would destroy their businesses. So how the fuck are you supposed to be prosperous in American society when they never even gave us that fucking much, you know? Um, talking about reparations, if we had that shit which is basically what you have because it's money that you inherited from doing nothing, mm -hmm. maybe we'd be on an even playing field. And let's not talk about the fact that black culture is the dominant culture. Music, fashion, literature, anything. You know, it's like they take our words, they take our vibes, they take what we're dropping, 
And then they mix it up and put a like fucking white wig on it. It's just like bring it on. Yeah, they, <laughs> take, know? they take like what we're done with. They take what literally expired black culture and then make it you know the global phenomenon. And he called George Floyd's death the George Floyd situation while he was on Fox. And it's like we cried fake tears over George Floyd. <sighs> yeah, this shit makes me sad. This shit's not even fun. <laughs> Every time. I try and think about who I hate the most in the Trump administration. I'm like, do I hate Don Jr.? Um, he's probably a coke addict, so no. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> do I hate Eric? I mean, he looks himself in the mirror and probably hates himself. Yeah. Because um, he looks like a 12th generation British royal. Um, <laughs> Melania. Whatever. We never see the real Melania half the time anyway. Um, She's been swapped Trump, out for a clone no, for he's, he's a stupid fool. He's a dunce. Uh, it's, it's probably Jared. Jared or Stephen Miller. Stephen Miller is just at least like lurks in the shadows, mostly to hide his hairline, uh, <laughs> and does his evil, you know, like whispering into Trump's ear. Kushner is trying to be front and center, acting like he's doing some shit. Fuck him. <laughs> well... That's our show. Yeah, good times. Good times today. <laughs> today was fun. What a great week. I know. Election day is next week, and we have a treat for y'all. We are dropping the episode early. Ooh. Look at that. Yeah. That's a gift. Yeah. That's us yeah. trying to make your life better. Sorry about Amy Coco booty hole. <laughs> <laughs> Not the Coco Booty Hall. <laughs> you will get it election day. Um, next week's episode of Keep It, it'll drop early for you to vibe with while you're voting. Yeah. Helping people vote or just something to distract you from staring at the news and going slowly <laughs> insane like Ellen Burstyn in Rec Room for a Dream. <laughs> yeah. Take care of yourself, please. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye. And thank you again to Adam Brody for being here. We'll see you next week. Keep It is a production of Crooked Media. Caroline Reston is our producer. Our editor is Bill Lance, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Our digital team is Nadine Melkonian and Milo Kent. Thank you to Brian Sebel for production support every week. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.